welcome. You're listening to a sermon podcast from Oak Hills Church in Folsom, California. Well, Friday night I took my 90-pound dog, Gus, to the park for a walk. He's carrying extra COVID weight, so I've been trying to walk him a bit more. And I love this park on Friday nights because it's filled with mostly young families whose kids are playing on park equipment or in one of the many flag football games that happen at this park on Friday night. So the place is crawling with people, a lot of young families, a lot of young children. So here I am walking Gus on this sidewalk through this maze of people. And I see this little girl up ahead of us and she's walking right, right toward us. And I'm guessing she's four or five years old, but I know for a fact she's smaller than Gus and weighs a lot less than he does. So I'm kind of holding him. He's really gentle. He's really quite the dog, but he can, you know, he's happy. All he has to do is jump up. She'll be on the concrete. I'll be in court, and that won't go well. So I'm kind of holding him so he doesn't knock her down. And she walks up, and she confidently says, can I pet your dog? And for the next few seconds, she rubs Gus's ears, scratches his back, and she tells me how Gus is so much bigger than the little dog they have at their house. And Gus was in heaven with all of the attention. His eyes are rolling into the back of his head. It couldn't have gotten any better for him. After about 25 seconds, she said, well, thanks for letting me pet your dog. And she kind of wonderfully skipped back to her family. It's one of the best moments I had this entire week. About 10 minutes later, I was doing another loop with Gus at the same park, and a woman walked up to me carrying this super excited infant son of hers. He was maybe a year old. I'm not real good at estimating the age of little children. He did that kind of sway and waddle thing when he was standing, so I don't think he could walk. He was really pretty young, but he kept looking at me with his big eyes just wide open, saying to me, Goddy, Goddy, which was doggy with a couple letters transposed. His mom said, we have three kids. We don't have time for a dog. For some reason, he loves dogs. Can he pet your dog? Again, we got a little size problem here between Gus and this little fellow. So I actually had Gus laid down, and this little one-year-old mauled Gus for like the next three minutes. And Gus laid there in heaven. He just wagged his tail, and he willingly and delightfully submitted to the scratching and the petting and the occasional eye-poking this little guy gave him. And every now and then, this little guy would look at me, and those eyes would go real big, and he'd say, Gotti, Gotti. And it was a close, second-best moment of my week. And as best as I can tell, the reason these two encounters were so life-giving to me is because they were in such sharp contrast to the state of the world, to the state of life, and to the state of the news that we've all experienced for going on two and a half years. There was something viscerally encouraging and life-giving and hope-kindling about these two beautiful kids reveling in petting a dog, and their joy was a great encouragement to me. We're in week three of our Lenten series. We're calling it Fast Forward, where we're talking about 
moving forward beyond COVID haze by fasting from a few of the values and practices and attitudes that were necessary during COVID for sure, but that ultimately do not help us live in the goodness of God and in the goodness of his kingdom. Now, I won't presume to speak for you today, but personally, the shelves of my soul are overstocked these days with discouragement. I'm tired of reading discouraging news. I'm tired of seeing discouraging tweets about every topic under the sun. I'm tired of hearing about this or that discouraging study or critique about the pathetic state of the Christian church in America. And I fully realize in saying these things, there is much to be legitimately and authentically discouraged about. But it's been a hard two and a half years. We've been walking in the way of discouragement ever since COVID started, and I don't want to speak for you, but I'm ready for a break. So today we're talking about fasting from discouragement. Our scripture reading, if you would stand for it, comes from the marvelous New Testament book of Philemon. I'm going to read just a few verses, verses 4 through 7. You can see the page number. And then we'll talk a bit about this. Paul is writing this to his friend Philemon, and he says, I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your love for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement. Because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. As mentioned already in this series, we're using the four letters Paul wrote from prison as the basis for this series. And the book of Philemon is a unique letter because Paul wrote it from prison, but also because unlike most of his letters, Paul sent this not to a church, but to a friend of his named Philemon. This is a personal letter, and it's filled with passion, it's filled with heart, and it's filled with feeling. And this is actually one of my favorite books in the entire Bible because it so vividly portrays the power of the gospel to actually reconcile enemies. And it shows the way of the kingdom as a way of reconciliation. And it has so much to say to the various divisions that separate people one from another. But encouragement is another powerful aspect of this letter. And this is captured beautifully in the few verses we just read. Specifically, the way God brings encouragement into our hearts and into our lives through one another. That is, encouragement is incarnated. It comes to us so often, maybe we could even say most of the time, it comes to us through another person whose presence, whose attitude, whose words, whose actions breathe life into us and kindle hope in us. Philemon encouraged Paul. Paul writes, I thank God as I remember in you, my, you in my prayers because I hear about your love for all his holy people, and I hear about your faith in the Lord Jesus. Then he says this, 
Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. Such a rich description. You, Philemon, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. Paul was encouraged by the good news. He heard about Philemon, and undoubtedly Philemon was encouraged when he read Paul's powerful words used to describe him in this letter. So, kind of distilling my gift for long-windedness into a sentence or two, a marvelous way for us to fast from discouragement is to practice being a person whose presence, attitude, words, and actions refreshes the hearts of others. This is what these two little ones did for me on Friday night without even realizing it. And who of us sitting here today or watching online couldn't use a little incarnated encouragement through someone's presence, attitude, words, or action? So, do you need some encouragement? Would you like someone to refresh your heart? No, I'm good. The shelves of my soul are overstocked with encouragement and with people who encourage me, so I'm only accepting applications these days to add discouraging people to my life. Not likely, especially not these days. The challenges of these past two and a half years have left their wake in a world desperate for life-giving and hope-restoring encouragement. Wars, political division, online and in-person anger, COVID, masks, vaccines, boosters, gas prices, nonstop critiques about the weaknesses of the American Christian church and what it should be doing versus what it is doing, discouraging news in every single direction, a steady drumbeat of critique. Negativity and complaint resulting in a tidal wave, again, I don't want to speak for you, but a tidal wave of discouragement. Or as Job says in chapter 3 and verse 24 of his book, sighing has become my daily food and groans pour out like water. I think many of us are malnourished from a diet of too much sighing and groaning over the past two and a half years. And again, hear me clearly, there are plenty of things to be genuinely discouraged about. No shortage of reasons to be discouraged. So no recommendation here to bury our head in the sand or pretend the world or life is better or less discouraging than it is. But you know, just like I know, Discouragement is like daily exercise or late night cookie eating or reading, meaning it will become a habit if we keep on practicing it. We have all at one time or another interacted with those who seem to have perfected discouragement through regular and consistent practice. They are beloved Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh. Remarkably gifted at finding the cloud in every silver lining. Work is never good. The day never went very well. 
there are always these unique and unprecedented challenges sitting in front of them. How are you is rarely met with, oh, okay, or fine, or really, really good, or life is going really well. How are you is usually met with, eh, not good. I'm so, so busy. Oh, you wouldn't believe what happened the other day. I'm so frustrated. We all know a few Eeyores. We might work with one or two. We might live with one or two. We might be sitting next to one or two. We might be one. Eeyore's first language is negativity, complaint, criticism, and bad news. Discouragement is in the air when Eeyore is around. And this Eeyore attitude, it seems to me, has risen over the past two and a half years for obvious and even understandable reasons. But let me remind us, God did not rescue, empower, begin to transform, and send us out on mission to live in a constant state of discouragement. Let me remind us, the word gospel, remember, means good news. The gospel is about the good news of life with God and in God and under God, and now and then, it seems to me, the good news of Jesus should reframe and reorient the bad news of this broken world. See, there is goodness in God to be experienced, even when life is hard. Life in, in God's kingdom is good and rich and fulfilling even when the world shows its brokenness. Because Jesus is real and we are in him, we can experience joy and goodness and have breakthroughs of encouragement even when life is not going according to our plan. So Paul prays for his friend, I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Another rather potent Phrase from Paul's friend, uh, pen. Deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Deepening our understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. And if you're wondering, what does that mean? That's what it's supposed to do is get us to go, what does that mean? Deepening our understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ, Paul is highlighting the incomparable riches and incomparable goodness of life and ministry in Christ and with Christ. Now, if we didn't know any better, we'd think Paul was sitting on the balcony of his mansion, sipping his favorite beverage while watching the sun set below the horizon of his vast estate. But remember, Paul is sitting in prison when he says this. His circumstances are hard. His future is unknown. But even so, his passion burns and his hope kindles and he encourages his friend to remember every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. I hope you can feel the weight of this. This is not the power of positive thinking, nor is it a life coach giving us a pep talk. Philemon's love for the body of Christ and his active faith in Jesus gives Paul great joy and encouragement. And Paul, in turn, reminds his friend of every good thing they share in Christ. So these two friends incarnate encouragement to each other. They breathe life into each other. 
They kindle real hope in each other. And they remind each other of eternal realities. And these eternal realities reframe their temporary realities that may in fact be very difficult. You see, we do not want discouragement to get ingrained in our attitude or in our presence. We do not want to be that person. We do not want to become any more like Eeyore than we already are. The last two and a half years have moved us closer to Eeyore. It's time to fast from Eeyore and snuggle up a bit to Tigger, if I can put it that way. See, there are people in our lives right now who are weary from all the discouragement and they are in desperate need of encouragement. And as a follower of Jesus, we, you, me, are fully equipped and empowered to be the one to refresh their hearts. To be the one to breathe life and kindle hope in them. There are people in our church, as you well know. There are people in this room, as you may know, who are weary from all the discouragement and in desperate need of encouragement. And as a follower of Jesus Christ, you, me, we are fully equipped and empowered to be the one to refresh their hearts and breathe life and kindle hope in them. One of the things I've slowly and gradually learned in the many years of being a pastor is that people, young and old and every age in between, those with faith and those who haven't found faith yet, those engaged in the life of a church and those furious with church, all the above need and want encouragement and hope. They want someone to breathe life into them. Nobody is overstocked with encouragement, but many, particularly these days, are overstocked with discouragement. People need hope and encouragement. And if those of us who claim to have found eternally good news cannot supply it, if we aren't ourselves carriers of encouragement and hope in a discouraged and hard world, I ask you, who is? So a few practical considerations for us to consider as we fast from discouragement and rediscover encouragement. First is this, pay attention to what we pay attention to. In other words, notice our default setting. This is what we've been poking at a little bit already. Notice our default setting when we're at home, when we're with those we love, when we're at work, in school, at a restaurant, participating in church, posting something online. What's our default mode? What's our default focus? What's our default attitude? Do we find clouds and silver linings or silver linings in clouds? Do we refresh the hearts of others or depress the hearts of others? And mind you, this is not a personality trait or even a personality Tendency, this kind of language, which I've said you probably have to. Well, I tend to be pessimistic. Really? Is that how that works? 
That's just a personality trait. You stood in the pessimism line, and God said, equip this one with pessimism. I don't think so. I would suggest to you that this is a heart issue. I would suggest to you it is a spiritual formation issue at its core. I would suggest to you Eeyore became Eeyore through practice. The fruit of the Spirit, as Paul tells us in Galatians, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, discouragement. Nah, doesn't work doesn't fit. There's a time and a place, obviously, to point out what's missing, what could be better. But I would suggest after two and a half long years, now is the time and the place to fast from discouragement. Our souls don't need more of it, and I assure you the people around us don't want more of it. And if our default happens to be discouragement, there's a reason for this beyond the reason we think. There's something I would suggest we gain from being discouraging. There's something we gain from being the one who regularly points out the imperfections and regularly offers up the critiques. I would suggest perhaps we like living behind the wall critiques and discouragement build. We like the distance created by critique and discouragement. I would suggest we look into these things just a bit. They're worth paying attention to, and it's worth paying attention to what we pay attention to. Second way to fast from discouragement and move toward encouragement is to call out the good in other people. Just call it out when we encounter it in others. Refresh the hearts of God's people and of all people by calling out the good in them, meaning we name it when we see it. We say the good. We write an email. We send a text. We call out the good in other people. Feel Paul's heart again in this letter to his friend. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your love for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. In other words, your life with God poured out for others encourages me, Philemon. You my friend, refresh my heart. You know what that does to Philemon. When someone says, your love, your actions encourage me. See, a simple way to fast from discouragement is look for the good and call it out in a friend or in a family member. Call it out in a waiter. Just recognize, go into a restaurant, what happens? Oh, there's no, how come there's not more people working here? How come my needs are not being serviced when I want them to? You don't think these people are getting a barrage of this day after day? Be that person that refreshes the heart of the waiter and simply says, hey, you know what? I see what you're doing. I realize how unmanageable it is. I appreciate what you're doing. Call that out in a waiter or a server or a coworker. Yes, it's risky. Yes, it's vulnerable. This is what makes it so fun because it's living on the edge a little bit if this is living on the edge. It's taking a risk and being vulnerable. Someone might say, I'm not good at that. I don't do that. Learn. Practice. Being a discourager requires less vulnerability than being an encourager. 
When we discourage through critique or negativity, we keep distance between us and the other. When we encourage by calling out the good, we move toward the other. So it's always going to be easier and safer to discourage than it will be to encourage. It's easier to call out what's wrong in the world than it is to call out what's good in the world, but we all know which is more fruitful. A couple Sundays ago during communion, I noticed someone standing in line right over here, and they were standing there waiting to come forward and receive the elements. I was sitting there just looking across the room, Someone was standing there, and I watched this person notice someone who was sitting in their chair. And they left the line to receive the elements, went to the person sitting in their chair, sat down next to them, spoke to them for a minute or two. I could put two and two together and figure out why they did this, and I will use Paul's words. Their love gave me Great joy and encouragement because they refresh the hearts of one of God's people and me being able to see them do it refreshed my heart. They ministered to this person and their act of love ministered to me who saw it. I've probably told you this story before, but that's the way it goes, I guess. I just keep recycling them. But Sam was married last July. And there was a moment... Uh, before the wedding started, where he had five or six groomsmen and four or five of them played football with him. And Sam calls them all over before the thing started. He goes, Dad, come over here. And I'm kind of doing the, eh, I, you don't want me over there. I'm like 30 years older. No, come on over, come on over. We get over there. And Sam stands in this huddle with all these big tough guys around him. And he puts his arm around them, and they all put their arm around each other. And for the next couple minutes, Sam just stands there, and he looks into each one of their eyes, and he tells them what they've meant to him. And he calls out the good in them, and how they've been this kind of friend to him, and how their friendship has meant something to them. I'm standing there going, we can end the wedding now. I mean, that wouldn't be good for them, but for me, this is powerful. Watching him look into the eyes of others and call out the good. And you could see these guys, Sam's looking square at them, and they're going, yeah, okay, let's get on with it. But it was a powerful moment. Calling out the good in other people. Speaking life into other people. Kindling hope. You can bet, bet people you're interacting with are short on encouragement, short on hope, overstocked with discouragement, overstocked with anxiety, as Dave talked about last week. And they don't even know they're looking for this. But they're looking for someone who's got the guts to speak life-giving words and call out the good in them. Someone in your world needs that. They need a face-to-face word. They need a text. They need an email. They need a call where you refresh their heart by calling out the good in them. Last thing that helps us fast from discouragement is to reset our perspective. I believe COVID has hypnotized us into thinking our lives are ultimately about staying safe and surviving. We've been focused on this for a long time. Rightfully so. It's understandable that we focused on this. 
But I think in focusing on this for so long, we are forgotten that safety and survival is in fact not what our lives are ultimately to be about as followers of Jesus Christ. Don't get me wrong, I want to be safe and I want to survive. But that's not why I walk on this planet. That is not my ultimate goal or my ultimate purpose. Because I'm a follower of Christ, I am caught up in something bigger than my survival. And I don't know about you, but I need a finger snap to get me out of this COVID trance and remember why I'm here. Paul's gratitude and hopefulness and passion in the midst of hard situations seen clearly in our passage from Philemon and all over the New Testament is because for Paul, Jesus had rearranged everything in his life, including his perspective, and nothing was ever the same again. Put it a little differently, Paul was hopeful and encouraging even in hard circumstances because he was literally caught up into something far bigger and far grander than his own safety or his own survival. He lived as though God was real. Eternity was real. He lived as though his life was actually in God's hands and all would eventually be well no matter what. And if he survived, beautiful. And if he didn't, no problem. Or as he put it in Philippians, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's perspective. See, his perspective on life and God and eternity funded his hope and encouragement in the midst of life's challenges. You see that. His perspective on life and on God and on eternity, on the big stuff, in other words, funded his hope and encouragement in the midst of life's challenges, the small stuff. And that's why when he was in prison, he writes a letter to the Philippians and he says, hey, make sure you know it's all good because what's happened to me has actually advanced the gospel because as a result of me being in this prison, all the guards know who Jesus is. Is he a religious Nut? Or is he a guy who's got a perspective that funds hope and encouragement even when he's staring down the barrel of difficult circumstances? I think COVID has shrunk our perspective and hypnotized us into thinking life is about this or that and this or that are important, but relatively speaking, this or that are small things. And when our lives center around small things, we get discouraged when they don't sort out how we want them to. But if our lives center around Jesus and around God's big things, then we can remain hopeful and encouraged even when the small things don't go according to plan. So we fast from discouragement, believe it or not, by resetting our perspective and remembering the bigger story of God and his kingdom. So let me try. God is real. God is good. Eternity is real. There's a reason right now today, no matter what's out in front of you, 
There's a reason to hope. There is a reason for encouragement. There's a reason to believe right now in those messy circumstances that God is at work and he's on the move doing something. And as followers of Jesus, we remember this is our passion. This is our purpose. This is the reason why we walk this planet. And this reason is beyond all other reasons. Last night, Julie and I went to one of the Acts 246 meals. It's a thing in the back that we've been encouraging you to sign up for. It started at 5.30. I banked on being home at 7.15. We didn't leave till 9.30. It was absolutely, positively wonderful evening with people from Oak Hills. Absolutely, positively encouraging evening. It was just like Friday night at the park with my two little friends. It did something to me. I would also suggest that these Acts 246 things, don't take this as a guilt moment. I'm not intending it to be. But I would suggest getting in one of these things is essential for anyone who considers Oak Hills their church. Why? Because it resets perspective on what church means. It gets us out of thinking church means this thing we did for the last hour and 15. And it gets into us realizing this thing called church is this thing we do with one another in and with Jesus out there. These Acts 2.46 things work muscles we need if we want to actually be the church together. I came away leaving at 9.30 with a reset perspective. Reset. Wasn't planning on it. Did not plan on it, but my perspective got reset being with people from our church. Here's what I came away with. God is real. God is incredibly good. Every single one of us has a story, and most of us have a story with a few chapters of pain in it. I came away feeling it in my bones again. People are hungry to know God and to know one another. I came away remembering eternity is real. And all one day will be well. All, one day all will be well. And God will never leave us or forsake us from this day to that day and on into eternity. So fast from discouragement. You don't need it. The people around you don't need it. And instead, be someone who, Paul's words, refreshes the hearts of others. Let's pray together. Jesus, I thank you for your goodness to us. I thank you that when we declare that you have given your all for us, that we are stating truths that have rearranged and altered the entire structure of the universe. I thank you that in the midst of what has been a grueling two and a half years, as we emerge from it, stoke the fires of encouragement in us. Stoke the fires of hope. Reignite our passion to live on the edge, to be about your kingdom, to give ourselves fully to you and to one another. We need your help for this. So we pray in Jesus' name.